Ahoy! You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Kenny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we're talking directors and officers, aka DNO, insurance. With all the fraud in crypto, it's imperative for companies to be able to make investors whole in the event of the worst. Dan Ross and Ben Davis of Superscript will be telling us why tech DNO came about, what underwriters look for and avoid in potential clients, and how the startup cycle and insurance market cycle affect the availability of insurance. Truly fascinating topic, so enjoy. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Hopefully you had some good conversations. Um, So some of you might not know what's going on. So here's what you can expect. This is a weekly event. We've done 164 times. That's the right there. See, that's how I know. Um, We're going to talk about Diffuse Tap, explain why we're doing what we're doing right now. Talk about Diffuse a little bit. And then we're going to have a fireside chat for 15 minutes. Mr. Dan Ross and Mr. Ben Davis. And then we're going to do two more rounds of breakout rooms, kind of similar to what you just experienced, because this is first and foremost a networking event. 45 minutes of every hour together is in small groups of four or five, where you have a chance to meet other alternative investors from literally all over the world. But we do want you to learn a little bit, hence the speakers du jour. If you like the networking portion of this, July 19th, that is today. Um, this evening in Chicago, go get a drink with Mr. David Culver, who's hosting an event along with Propellant Ventures. So come check it out if you are or can be in Chicago today. Diffuse is a fund platform. We try to kind of find off the run or just uh, you know market gaps and create fund vehicles around them. So these are investment fund vehicles. So um, the one we're really pushing on right now is this Diffuse Digital 30, a now publicly listed index fund of the top 30 cryptocurrencies. So this is a chance for you to get crypto exposure in one place. Don't have to really think about it. And, uh, you know, liquidity as we grow this fund and scale it up. So hit us up if you have any interest in learning more about that. I think somebody's got some background. That's probably you, Majid. So if you go on mute, that would be appreciated. Gotcha. But that's enough of that. Let's hear from today's speakers, Mr. Dan Ross and Ben Davis. Dan, to start things off, can you please... Well, I should start with you, Ben. Ben, to start things off, can you please unmute, tell the good folks a little bit about yourself and what you're up to over at Superscript. And then we'll pass the mic over to Dan. Absolutely. So my name is Ben Davis. I'm the head of digital assets at Superscript. We are an insure tech uh, insurance broker in London. Uh, I've been in the crypto. Ins- I've been in insurance for 12 years, and I've been in crypto insurance for six. Uh, we work with companies all over the world uh, at any stage of life cycle um, for pretty much any company in, in Web three. Um, and uh, we're really passionate about closing the capacity gap in insurance to help. Uh, these more digital asset companies find insurance um, than they have done in the past. So we're really super passionate about it. All the the team, which is actually now the biggest in the world for a dedicated insurance broking team, um, is super passionate. We're from the community and uh, we love uh, helping our clients uh, solve these lovely insurance problems. So uh, that's me. I'll pass it over to uh, to Dan. 
Thanks, Ben. Yeah, my name is Dan Ross. Um, I'm on the team as the Digital Assets Underwriting and Innovation Manager, and that means everything that we need to support our broking operations, but also progress with making new products, making uh, blockchain native technology as a part of our business, and uh, really making ourselves the leaders in uh, insurance for Web3 and crypto businesses. Awesome. I will jump right in with questions, and I might address the first one uh, to Ben. When did Dino Insurance or Eno Insurance as well get popular attraction with crypto companies? Because I remember when Kenny and I originally looked to apply for it, there was like nothing, nothing, nothing uh, <laughs> out there. When when did this become a thing? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question to start. So I would say probably um, the first type of like insurance you could really get for crypto, which was around 2015, was just really... Uh, um, only solely for crime and custody. So you could only really ensure your, um, the assets under management. Then once companies started getting bigger and started taking on more contracts and actually hiring more publicly um, visible and renowned boards and, uh, you know, sorry, directors to sit on the board, that's when like kind of DNO and ENO started coming out. So I would say probably around 2016, um, the first, sort of 2016, 2017, the first sort of policies came out. Um, but really, capacity hasn't really come into the space in any real means on, since the last two years or so. So the last two years, we've actually finally found that the market is starting to become more liquid. Um, and on a global perspective, actually, uh, the US um, is actually charging ahead with with uh, insurance solutions. So U.S. is actually we feel the the more um, advanced uh, market in the the global landscape to find insurance. There's a lot more domestic carriers that have kind of gone into the space. Um, actually, uh, thank boy uh, from Vouch on the call is is one of those carriers. So um, you know those types of companies have really kind of come into the fore and have been great at providing capacity and insurance products for the space. Um, other markets have been slower to develop. Um, London has, has, I would say, probably second place now um, to, to the US in developing uh, those types of markets. But, you know, we might catch on to this in the rest of the call, but Unfortunately, a lot of the insurance innovation cycle is, is hampered by either macroeconomic factors or you know, natural disasters. Like if insurance companies aren't making money, it's not natural to dive into a lot of these emerging technology industries because underwriters just don't know enough to really make a good business case for it. So we are kind of at the whim of how the insurance market is doing. That's fascinating because usually Lloyd's is kind of at the forefront of some of these more esoteric type policies. And it sounds like U.S. is maybe kind of driving ahead. Dan, well, did you have anything you wanted to add on that? Or Ben, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, oh no. Sorry. Just just before I was just saying it's so funny, like I'll walk into these insurance boardrooms and I'll say, you know, we figured out how to insure a spaceship. We've been figured out how to insure like JLo's butt, but we can't <laughs> insure crypto. Like it makes zero <laughs> sense. Right. So. Yeah, it feels like we're lagging behind a bit on on in that category, but I'll let Dan uh, continue with that. Yeah, my only real input into that is understanding how long it's taken for some other products to come along and some other industries to be supported. And I'm thinking particularly of what's called cyber insurance, which is around data breaches and ransomware and all that kind of hacking going on. Um, but we think of it now as a highly tech-based insurance, whereas it used to start off as a kind of a media and marketing related insurance policy because 
we had the kind of dot-com boom, but there was nothing on the website. But they were worried the one or two pictures they did put on the website would get them sued against some kind of IP liability. And that's what cyber insurance was about. And then only shortly after then, it covered the Y2K bug because people were actually scared that the rollover into the new millennium was actually going to blow up computers. So that's what a cyber insurance policy was when it started out. And it's taken 23 years to really get to exactly what it should be, protecting the people that it should be. And uh, it kind of feels that way for crypto on a more accelerated rate. But the insurance industry is still traditional enough that we've got a way to go to make sure that they really understand what it is where we're underwriting. Makes sense. And Dan, we'll keep this one with you because, you know, LinkedIn says your title is portfolio underwriter. So what are the underwriting underwriters looking for when issuing DNO? And feel free to weave in some potential DNO disasters, be it FTX or any of those folks and uh, as data points for what not to do. Yeah, I'll definitely leave the juicy stuff to Ben to talk about. But um, <laughs> th this bit's interesting to talk about what underwriters are thinking about in the DNO side, because if you guys, much like on the people on the call, are either in the finance or at all in the investment realm, it's pretty much the same tool set they're looking for. And in that sense, I would say that investors and finance are the kind of the um, the same uh, opposite sides of the same coin to underwriting. You put money in hoping to receive a return in, in future, whereas we kind of put money up front hoping not to lose it. But in the end of the day, we're still looking at the same business and looking through the same things. So a lot of you might relate to the points I'm going to say when you're looking at either opportunities or, or companies that come across your desk. And um, so really kind of straightforward company's financial picture, what does it look like, key income statements, components, revenue, expenses, that kind of thing, and balance sheets items. Does it all make sense? Does it look healthy? Really basic things to try and qualify these businesses. Um, and again, for us as insurance, it's, uh, it's kind of have to look at it differently, but we need to identify that this business has enough runway um, to be able to not only continue as a business, but be able to pay insurance in future. Otherwise, it's not really a company that has a long-term ambition. So there's also that criteria that we put on that maybe investors and the rest of finance are a little more uh, free to be loose on as they accept risk. But again, it's kind of the same assessment as, as everyone else. Um, the company's accounting practices, that's going to be one that people take a real look at, especially with some modern businesses. It can be quite hard to quantify exactly uh, how they do their accounting, how they recognize their revenue, if that revenue is a regulated uh, financial instrument, for example, crypto, which is what we're more familiar with. But again, how that actually looks in terms of are they being very realistic about how they run their finances? And this is quite straightforward stuff. Are, can we, are we looking at a company that is run responsibly? And it's pretty straightforward in that respect. And then again, to add to that, it's the company management. Who are the people that we're insuring? What are their experience? What are they bringing to the business? And do we as underwriters feel as excited as investors are about them and their business and how they run it? And there is still that unquantifiable element of how do these people come across? Like when you're talking on the phone, when you're mm -hmm. over email, when they present themselves in the wider world, do they come off as people that don't really know what they're doing or a bit flippant or maybe not there with like long-term intentions or maybe perpetually on Twitter saying stuff that they really shouldn't be saying, that really all matters. And it matters to investors as much as it matters to underwriters. And I think people forget that sometimes, but there is a huge human component in underwriting where the people across the table from you that you're wanting to ensure needs to make you feel good in your gut, basically, to be able to stump up five to 
to 10 to whatever million of insurance that we're providing. So in that sense, it's still nothing too different from the rest of finance. It's do we trust these people to run this place responsibly? And, and that's quite a, uh, a thing prevalent throughout finance, I think. And then there's kind of two other elements which are pretty straightforward. One, what's happened in the past, continuity risk. Has, is, has there been ongoing liabilities? Is there is there kind of any disturbance going on? Is there a possibility that there's been an indication from a regulator that they might be investigated or something might be coming down the pipeline. And similarly, what are the risks going forward? What are the kind of vulnerabilities of that business? Is there any kind of one death uh, nail in the coffin that could really kind of stop the business from running or potentially harm them beyond what we anticipated um, as underwriters when we were underwriting it? So again, there is nothing new that I've just said to you when you guys are looking at businesses or different opportunities. It's how is the business run? Is it run properly? Are they reporting themselves well? Do we trust these people? And what are the what are the kind of macro and, and niches of this business that we need to consider? But past then, it's uh, let's go for it. Let's have as much investment on the underwriting side as the investment side does. And let's make sure that this business is going to be here into next year and the year after and the year after that. So mm. it's a fairly traditional, but long-term view on the, the, the longevity of this business. Totally. Makes sense. Appreciate it, Dan. And uh, you did promise Ben would give us juicy details and uh, maybe some uh, corner cases of or, or examples of things that didn't necessarily go so well on the underwriting. Yeah. Look at it. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. I'll I won't I'll spare the syndicate's uh, embarrassment, so I won't use their names. But um, there was one syndicate in London that declined every crypto risk that they saw, but they wrote one, and it was FTX. <laughs> oh God! And they they wrote it. They charged a a, a big premium, but uh, they wrote it, and um, it's kind of like the laughing stock of the of the market because like that's the. The one thing you the the one thing that no underwriter wants to do is write one risk of one category and get a massive loss, and that's exactly what they did. So, um, so that one was quite funny. I mean, just just on claims in general, um, uh, I think like what we've noticed in claims is that um, the claims that we've seen actually have nothing to do with crypto. They all have to do hmm. with running a business in today's society. And you're running at a fast pace, right? So the the, the claims that we've seen are director exp- disputes, companies expanding into other countries, and they haven't done a good trademark check, um, uh, dispute with a supplier, contract dispute that one side said you didn't, um, uh, you know, you didn't deliver the services. I want payment, and they said, well, we did deliver the services. Here's, you know, and they just disagree and you know there's there's a suit so we have yet to we have yet to have a suit for our book of business at least that was directly related to a problem with crypto or a protocol failing or some of the big headlines you've seen um it's really just run-of-the-mill business stuff and so what we're trying to do a lot of the time is educate our clients and say you know you're so focused on your on-chain environment like custody and keys you know, making sure that you're segregating duties, but you're forgetting all this stuff that you're probably actually going to get a claim for, which is <laughs> the general management running of the business, right? So that's what we're really trying to upskill our clients and learning about. Fascinating. There's some really good stuff here. Um, one of the things I want to ask is how do you guys deal with people's frozen balance sheets, whenever it's stuck in various mm-hmm. bankruptcy proceedings, et cetera? Because technically speaking, it's money. 
And mm-hmm. uh, one could say that business healthy is just that it's it's going to come back to them anytime between now and in two years. <laughs> That's a great question. We actually uh, just won a client that had like 30 million still in FTX frozen. Oh, exciting. Um, and we, the underwriters took a view where they didn't, they essentially said we're writing this to a hundred percent loss. And if it isn't, well, that's, that's, you know, we can, we can reflect that on the balance sheet next year. So they're mm. taking extremely conservative view in the first instance, uh, because all of this stuff is so like, well, bankruptcy isn't new, but um, having talked to some lawyers that are doing some very high profile bankruptcy proceedings, a lot of this is kind of like new case law with like mm. users distributed all over the world. How do you make sure that, you know, these these users get their funds, the bankruptcy is proceeding in an orderly fashion um, and it takes a lot of money. And so they take a conservative view until, you know, Celsius, BlockFi, FTX, actually go through the courts and we can actually see, okay, well, when you have a big, you know, US domicile company that has 100,000 customers all over the world and they go bankrupt, this is how it works. So um, yeah, they tend to take a very conservative view until we get that kind of case law set up. Makes logical sense. Anything from from Dan's side on uh, on that uh, subject? No, no, it's uh, it's one of the more frustrating elements of DNO claims where everything gets frozen and it comes down to liquidation and people going into administration and, and picking off pieces of the business. And what I think we've seen over the last couple of months with all of the bigger, uh, I hate to bring it back to crypto every time, but some of these bigger crypto institutions that have gone down, it's the proceedings are taking so long. Um, but I think the important thing is they're getting there because they're trying to come up with the regulation and what the right thing is to do at the same time as kind of liquidating these companies or breaking them apart. So it's a slow process, but I think it's a worthwhile one. Makes sense. Uh, so let's, well, let's stay with crypto and maybe Dan will stay with you. Um, the criticism has been thrown at blockchain companies that they don't have a lot of actual experience running a company. So a lot of the basic learnings didn't quite happen. Um, not necessarily my view, but it's certainly a view. So then when they're coming to you, uh, practical advice. Um, when they're coming to you looking for DNO, ENO for their company, they want to kind of get that policy in place. What are some of the pitfalls they can do or what, what, how do they avoid some of the obvious pitfalls? And then also what type of premiums, and this is Andy's question, what type of premiums compared to, you know, more standard DNO would we expect? Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely talk more to um, uh, kind of the advice of what they should be looking at on premiums. I'll leave that to Ben. Um, But it's uh, legitimacy, I think, is the name of the game. And all kinds of people come together to form companies in these great products um, and with a lot of variety in who they are and their backgrounds. And as we've seen with some of the really early crypto companies and some of the ones that blown up, it has been kind of a consistent issue where the people running them are fairly inexperienced or young and know the tech and have taken the opportunity but haven't learned like you said the traditional business experience that is absolutely invaluable to everyone rather whether it's blockchain or not um and uh, what we see and so when we kind of started doing this about six years ago not as superscripts as such but ben and i have been trying to place um a crypto businesses for a long time at various places and we've seen a kind of big evolution and i think they've realized as much as as much as everyone else that legitimization takes 
boring business practices. They take people that have a lot of experience that might not be able to talk crypto so well, but can talk a lot about how not to blow up a business. We've got good risk management practices, bringing in people to the board that actually bring something to the business rather than happen to be another crypto bro, so to speak. Um, and we've seen a big transition from one or two groups of people trying to kind of reinvent money to now we're looking at big institutions with very traditional uh, general counsel departments, uh, CFOs, um, investors, all the and risk management departments. So I think the investment towards legitimization, security, risk management is always going to be the thing that eventually gets companies that would have otherwise really struggled to get DNO insurance over the line. And I think that's the same for investment. People want exciting investments, but they want to see good people running the business. And it's no different um, on our side. But on the premium side, yeah, so it is a big difference. Um, and I'll let Ben talk about it, but there they tend to be completely different realms um, of what we're looking at, but it's mixed up with things like the insurance cycle, the business cycle, the crypto market cycle, and a bunch of other influences that are, that make it very interesting to work with. Yeah, and and just on just to follow on from Dan's point before I get into the premium side, like some big tips that you can do to save money is um, we get that you're raising money, um, but don't give us VC numbers. You will get rated on VC numbers, right? If you say you're going to do 300 million in five years, you will get rated on that number, right? So, what we try to tell our clients is be very conservative in your first year because if you aren't, you're going to get rated on whatever number you put there. And so, we had a client the other day that um, said that they were going to do 300 million in the first year. We're like, okay, well, 500 grand for 1 million, then that's what the rate's going to be. And he said, uh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 those are the pre-FTX numbers. And he came back and it was like 10 million, right? So, um, and that, that literally saved him about 250 grand in just that one kind of like conversation. So um, be, be conservative with your first year numbers. Um, secondly, if you have your own token, don't expect that value to hold on the balance sheet when underwriters are doing due diligence. So what they'll normally do is mark it down quite heavily because what they'll say is, yeah, you've got like 500, like let's say 5 million of your token on your balance sheet, but you can't liquidate all at the market price right now. So they'll, they'll take a haircut on, on the, the token price. Um, so it's, so it's still kind of cash is king. So you want to make sure you've got some uh, liquidity on the balance sheet that can actually pay because it's not going to be paid for at that spot, basically. Um, to talk about the the premium side of things, and, and Dan um, alluded to it, a lot of it comes down. So off the bat, if you're in crypto, you're going to pay more. I mean, that's that's just the, the reality of it, the way it is right now. Um, if you had the same business but not using crypto, it would be it would be cheaper. Now, the, how cheaper depends on the market cycle. The insurance hard market and soft market. So hard market means you're paying more. There's a lot of claims. Insurers aren't making enough money, so they have to raise rates. Soft market means uh, there's a lot of new entrants coming into the space. Premiums are coming down, and you pay less. Now, typically, what happens is is just like a boom and bust cycle, except the the insurance hard and soft cycle comes into place uh, because when you know more entrants in the soft market, premiums water down, 
those claims are still happening. They're just making less from it. Um, and so what happens is companies go out of business because the loss ratios are too high. Um, they fire people, they shut down units. Uh, and when people, when insurance companies, those claims get out of control, they then go into the hard market and the cycle kind of repeats it. They have to increase premium, um, restrict cover, and the, the cycle kind of happens. And so depending on where we are in the cycle depends on how much you pay. Now, right now we've been, uh, right now we're coming out of a hard market. We've been in a hard market since roughly 2017 because we had three hurricanes, um, Harvey, Irma, and uh, something else, Maria. And that essentially was billions and billions and billions of dollars of loss uh, to the insurance companies. Now, I always think it's not very fair that if there's property losses, you guys get have to pay more on the DNO and ENO and cyber because it's completely uncorrelated. Where the insurers are like, okay, well, we've just lost a lot of money. We're going to try to recoup this wherever we possibly can. And so they just, a lot of them try to achieve rate and, and increase prices across the board because of that. Now, um, so that's kind of from that kind of map, like that, that backdrop on the insurance cycle. In terms of like why crypto companies specifically are paying more, um, a lot of it has to do with underwriters not really knowing too much about it, right? If you, let's put yourself in an underwriting, in the underwriter's shoes, you've got 30 accounts on your desk that you have to underwrite by the end of the day, all right? Um, 28 of those are in your wheelhouse. You know it. You've been doing it for the last 10 years. It's great. Two of those are crypto companies. You have to completely research this new idea. You have to do an incredible amount of education just to get up to the starting point to understand this business, right? Let's say we give them a DeFi platform. They have to first understand what a blockchain is, what a smart contract is, what DeFi is, how they make money, the risks associated with it. Now, let's say they do all that and they put out a premium and let's say the premium is would be the same roughly the same amount of premium that they charge for something that's similar so we call this a proxy rate they use a rate that uh they would use somewhere else but they use it as a proxy um let's say that claim happens so there's a claim on that that underwriter now has to uh, justify to their boss why they wrote a company that they didn't really understand at the same rate as something that they very much like they really understand, right? Uh, the under their, their boss will say, well, we don't really write this. Why did you think it was a good idea? Mm. Because we have zero loss ratios on this part of the business. Why do you think it's a good idea that we're charging the same? So underwriters just don't want to get fired, right? So when they put a quote out, they're doing it because they don't want to get fired and uh, they think it's a good risk, and they think that they can justify it internally if they have a claim. The only way to justify it internally is if they make a lot of money. So in that same scenario, if the underwriter said, yeah, it had a claim, but I charged four times as much as the, the other guy, they're now thinking, all right, it was a bet, you know, you took a punt, you know, it didn't work out, tough luck, but at least you got some money for it. Whereas before it's, sorry, Mr. Underwriter, you're probably, uh, you know, looking for another job after that. So that's broadly why the rates are kind of where they are right now. Great. That's uh, amazing content. Um, but we do need to hop into breakout rooms. 
Um, but so a couple of housekeeping items for you first and foremost. Uh, be kind to one another. Um, and this is uh, networking, not pitching. So don't spend the whole time doing that. And uh, yeah, the do swap details in the breakout room itself because uh, we don't do a full participant list for privacy reasons or join our Telegram group. It's good for making connections and talking about what you are up to. Um, but here's a rough format of breakout room. Introduce yourself. Talk about the topic if you so choose. And the topic is Isla. And I'm going to give you a topic uh, in terms of Dino insurance. What has been your experience, whether that's emerging tech and other startups or crypto specifically? What have you learned over the last 12 months or so uh, within this space of getting your own insurance? I'll pop you into rooms now and we'll see you back here in 10 minutes. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Y'all trickling in. I'll put, put our speakers back up here front and center. Hello, hello. Oh man, I forgot to warn you. So now I'll start with you, Ben. I'm gonna put you right on the spot. Uh, we asked the same question of our all pretty much all speakers. Tell us the future. What are you excited by? And you do get brownie points that mean nothing if it's something the audience hasn't necessarily heard about. Doesn't even necessarily have to be with uh, have to do with uh, Dino or Eno insurance. If you, you want to go further afield. Yeah. Um, ooh, that's such a broad question. There's a lot of things I'm excited by. I think. Um, I think for me, I'm just like, for some me, it feels like the last like year or so, something's like fundamentally changed in how we like do things. <laughs> it feels like, you know, the, we're, we're at a point of tech where I think we've got the necessary like infrastructure and things in place where like these next couple of years are going to be just like very different, I feel like, in how we do things. Um, and uh, for me personally, in like the Web3 space, uh, I'm really excited to see like uh, kind of the next Amazon of crypto be built. And I feel like we're, we're getting to that point where you're starting to get some like incredible, incredible global brands that like, uh, and it was actually touched on in our, in our, um, in our breakout room where people will start using crypto without not knowing it's without knowing it's an NFT or it's just, they use it because it's like way better experience, right? It's just an, an incredibly better, uh, customer experience that, um, you know, we don't know how a transaction is done, right? Like in traditional finance, but yeah, we use the banking system because that's how it's done, right? Like, I don't care how it all, you know, I don't know every step. It's just like onboarding the next user is not going to necessarily care about gas and MEV boosting and all that kind of stuff. They're going to use it because it's, you know, it's, it's a good customer experience. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that to finally kind of come out. I love that. I, I, I like to say I'm excited to start getting these pitch decks for uh, blockchain companies where it doesn't say blockchain until page 11 is implementation detail, which is really yeah. exactly. business. Great. Dan, what do you think? Future. future yeah, uh, yeah. So two things. One, to carry on from Ben, I think over the next year or two, it's going to be the case where stuff's going to be coming along that you don't realize as a user is blockchain and crypto. Um, but the second part of what I want to say is kind of in mirror or reverse to that which is we deal with crypto yeah and it takes um it's a big learning curve uh, we spent a lot many years in it um and keeping up to date with it is seemingly a full-time job in itself it's just always moving but what we're seeing is the convergence of a lot of technologies um progressing very quickly but also coming together so this is a kind of the message that I try and give out to our team, the rest of the company, and basically anyone we can be even jealous to, is 
try out all these new tools even if it's once even if it's a little bit even if it's something just uh, you've heard of but know nothing about and have an hour to spare or even half an hour just to try and i'll normally start people with saying try some of the crypto products they're getting better they're they're more fun to play with there's a big variety of stuff you can do with it that's not just money um and there's like art there's gaming there's like all these amazing functions that you can do with this new type of money but you just wouldn't hear about it or again any idea of the magnitude of where it could go without playing with it a little bit and in the same respect um, now that we have these tools I my message is do the same for chat GPT do the same for these image creating um, tools you can do uh, just explore even a little bit of these new technologies just to keep on top of it because my biggest worry is all these super hardworking, intelligent people are just going to get caught up in a massive wave what rather than being able to ride it and it's such a small jump from not knowing a bit much about it but spending like a spare hour if you can find it just to get more informed about it it's going to be everything for your careers going forward and uh, and businesses going forward and bringing that like ethos that stuff is constantly changing and we need to keep up across the board i think is my main message to to everyone i love it keep abreast try it out get your hands dirty that's the best way to exactly. learn oh and by the way there's this event it's called diffuse tap i wonder why it's full-time jobs is to find <laughs> speakers to talk about what's going on so you can also check that out i don't know i'm guessing something <laughs> Ayla, <laughs> you got another topic for another breakout room? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've noticed, obviously, in the crypto space, the interest generally has waned a bit. Um, what do you think is going to be a catalyst for putting crypto on the center stage, not for the wrong reasons anymore? Um, I'll pop you into rooms now, and we'll see you back here shortly. All right, all right, all right. We're going to do a little bit of a rippity wrap-up and get you all out of here right on time. Here's our wrap-up items. One, this is a weekly event. Next week, talk crypto lending. Got a bit of a bad rap out June last year, um, and uh, we'll see where we are now. Diffuse Tap in person today, Chicago, in a not a hotel. Um, David put the information there in the chat. Check it out. Come meet a lot of tappers and learn more about their uh, business communities that they're launching all over the US of A. And then also do join the Telegram group. Introduce yourself. Tell folks what you're up to and keep them abreast. You'll be surprised what shakes out. But that is that. And then, but Mr. And I'll go to you, Ben. Why not? Because I like picking on you. Plug your pluggables. How can people find you? Direct them where you want them to be directed. Oh yeah, LinkedIn's the best one for me, actually. So uh, just get at me at LinkedIn. I'm fairly active, so we'll we'll definitely respond. And that would be for anybody who's doing audio podcast version of this. What is that LinkedIn? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, ben Dash D Davis, I think okay. it is my thing. Yeah, Davis Double D. All right, Ben Dash D Davis with Superscript and Dan. Anything you want to plug? Yeah, mine's nice and easy on LinkedIn. It's just D R I O. On the Leo. link, Drear. Yeah, linkedin.com right. forward slash in slash Drear. Awesome. Well, that's how you find them. They were super script as a friendly reminder. And uh, Ms. Isla, anything I missed? No, nothing. Aside from uh, anybody game to host a diffuse tap in your town in August. Uh, we are very game for you all to do it. Ben and Dan, if, if that's something that you'd like to do, you know, a bunch of people at a bar talk about crypto insurance. 
and have drinks mainly, um, then uh, raise your hand. We usually sponsor the first round of drinks and uh, let the co-host kind of organize it. Else, if you want someone else to be a featured speaker, we're also very interested in having that happen. Awesome. And uh, Ben and Dan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with all of us. And everybody else, thank you for coming and networking and connecting. And we will see you in one week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.